So welcome to this uh, new episode of Terms of Service. And today we are with Julien Nizet from Argent, or Argent, depending on which language you say it. I've heard it said both ways. Um, and uh, Julien, you are a co-founder, I believe, or founder of, uh, of Argent. Uh, yes. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you built and that you are building. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm Julien. I'm one of the three co-founders at Argent. So Argent is a company that I co-founded with uh, Itamar and Gerald in tw late 2017, beginning 2018. Uh, we have actually known each other for quite a while. We went to college together uh, in Brussels. And actually, Gerald and, and Itamar, they've been friends since kindergarten. So I'm kind of the new kid on the team, only known them for 20 plus years. Um, so, I mean, we after university, we did, you know, we took different routes, uh, but decided to do a project together. And we started being interested by, by blockchain. <laughs> Uh, as a technology in general, uh, and this was kind of new to us. So we started thinking about doing something in that space, but we rapidly realized that interacting with the blockchain was extremely complicated. And for us being newcomers, I mean, a lot of stuff didn't make, make sense. Uh, we felt there were people working on consumer applications. There were people working on the protocol and like the technology, but there was like a big gap between the two, which is how can a normal user actually interact with that technology? Uh, and so we rapidly identified the need of building a, a good wallet, a wallet that normal people and normal users would be able to use. Uh, and so that's why we decided to to create Argent and, and start that journey. Great. And so um, you said you were together in university. Were you studying anything that was uh, related to uh, blockchain, finance, anything of that nature? I mean, in a sense, we the three of us are engineers, so we studied engineering. Uh, I think Itamar studied computer engineering, and Gerald and myself, we studied physics. Uh, and actually, after university, we both did a PhD. So, so yeah, I mean, in a sense, that that is connected. You know, we are very technology, I mean, technology oriented from our background. Uh, but at the same time, Gerald and Itamar, before working on Argent, they had a couple of startups uh, in London. And one of, I mean, the last one was quite successful. And it was really a, a consumer facing product. Basically, they built the biggest uh, brain training application on mobile. So they had something like 60 million users. So, I mean, even though we are strong in technology and we love technology in the team we actually ever you know we are very focused on on consumers uh, and i took a, a bit of a more technical path so i did a, a phd a postdoc and then i created a, a startup in collaboration with the university where we try to commercialize security hardware based on quantum physics. So very, very technical, but also very, very related to security because the main application of, of, of quantum physics in uh, and quantum cryptography is in security. Uh, so they can, kind of came with that very user-centric expertise and I came with a bit of a more security uh, expertise and then combining all these together, I think was a, a very good mix to, to do something on the blockchain because it is a very, I mean, it's a, it's a technology that's based on cryptography. So there is low level, you know, cryptographic primitives. Uh, and of course it needs to be secure, but at the same time you want it to be, you know, centered on users. And so I think it was a kind of the combination of these, these skills that, uh, 
made us, I hope, a great team. That makes sense. Uh, So in 2017, when you started, uh, what was the landscape in terms of sort of uh, user interfacing tools with the blockchain? Were there a lot of wallets around or, or what was it looking like? So there were already quite a lot of wallets and it's a bit sad to see that the space hasn't changed much in that regard. Uh, so when we got there, I mean, there was basically two types of wallets and there's st- still two main categories of wallets. One are what I would call custodial wallets and they're basically your centralized exchange. So Coinbase, for example, or Binance, they give you access to that world. They give you access to you know tokens and to cryptos, but actually you don't really control Uh, these assets. You basically ask Coinbase or Binance to manage that for you. Uh, And that has one big advantage is that it enables great user experience. I mean, interacting with Coinbase is very simple. It's like, you know, using your your bank basically because it's a Web2 application. It's not really blockchain. And so you have these custodial wallets on one side that are very easy to use, but of course, you lose the, the the non-custodial aspect of the blockchain technology, which, in our opinion, is what's very interesting about that technology. And so, on the other side of the spectrum, there were and there are still, you know, non-custodial wallets like MetaMask, for example, which require you to manage uh, a private key or a seed phrase. Uh, And it also requires you to actually understand the technology because if you want to make a transaction, you need to sign something with that private key. You need to understand, you know, how much transaction fees you need to pay and so on. So there's basically these two sides of the spectrum. On one side, you can have very user-friendly wallets that are custodial. And on the other side of the spectrum, you add and you still have non-custodial wallets, but that are very complicated to use. And again, for us, we felt, I mean, there was no need to to choose between the two. And so we really wanted to build something that was as easy to use as a custodial wallet, as a Coinbase, or as a normal, like, you know, modern banking application, but at the same time, which had self-custody baked in. And that's really the motivation for us of starting Arjun, is to say there's no need to give up on custody just for a good user experience. Actually, we can have the best of of both worlds. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because uh, it seems like in in the crypto space in general, people always talk about onboarding the next billion users or whatever the, the term is. Um, but uh, when you talk to, let's say, hardcore crypto users, they tend to have this attitude that the complexity is there as a guarantor of security and that you have to sort of learn what you need to know to be able to manage that. And that if you simplify things too much, then you start breaking that layer of security. But on the other hand, you have people that say, well, if we keep if we keep things in the state of complexity that they are now, we're, we're never going to grow this. So it's interesting that you're finding this kind of middle path, yeah. which seems like... I, I, exactly. I mean, for me, it's kind of like the internet, right? Or- okay, so uh, we just got cut off and you were saying that uh, you were making a comparison with the internet. And crypto. Yes, exactly. As what I was saying is that it's a bit like you know the the internet. Originally, only geeks could interact, you know, with the network, and you ne- you needed to you know understand TCP and write command lines, you no know, commands, and and use shells and so on. And then someone came with the concept of a browser, and and suddenly instead of having to to know and and understand the protocol and write low level command, you could actually just click on buttons, uh, and that actually made it available to a much larger you know a spectrum of, of of users and and i think it's kind of you know what we want to do as well in the sense we felt that 
non-custodial wallets originally were very low level uh, and we wanted to build, to give access to users to that amazing technology. And for that, you needed to have um, a much, you know, much better wallets. So maybe we can we can dive into wallets a little bit, because I think one of the things that's the most difficult for people to understand uh, when it comes to interacting with the blockchain is why it has to be done um, through a wallet. Uh, in a sense, I think what would be interesting is if you could explain what the concept of the wallet is. Is there another way we could call a wallet? Like, is it a gateway or um, is there some other metaphor that would be useful to, to share? And uh, and and maybe um, you know it is is a wallet sort of when you when you are using a wallet do you become a user of the blockchain or or how would you call that? Yeah, a, these are very good question and I think it's a never ending topic in a sense. And we originally we didn't like you know the name wallet as well because I think a wallet is very financial at least the way most people understand it. And, and we feel that on the blockchain is actually much more than that. Financial is one aspect, but yes, it, it's much more than that. From a, I think, technical point of view, the way we, I mean, understand thing is that on the blockchain, you have accounts. Account is really the object on the blockchain that has your token, you know, that it's basically an identity on chain. It's really an object that you have on chain. A wallet is a software to control and manage accounts. So that I think that's the, the most general you know, definition, a more technical definition. So you need to have a software that will make it easy for users to interact with, with, uh, with these accounts. But you can have multiple accounts in, in a wallet. So, um, so what is a wallet? A wallet is a software to interact with the blockchain. And typically that includes controlling or managing one or more identities because an account is, 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 is really an identity. So yes, I think the, the word gateway is, is probably more appropriate, but, it, but it's not really sexy. And I think people won't really get <laughs> what it is. So, so far, wallet is still the term that you know most people use, but I, I like to see it as a, it's really the software that or the, the object that you use to control your identities on chain, to control your assets on chain. I think in the future, you'll also use that to control your data. So it's really a, a gateway to that to that technology uh, and, and all its its components. It's not a very good definition, I agree. And I hope that at some point, you know, maybe we'll find a, a better term, the same way that for the internet, we invented the browser. And that's a completely, you know, in a sense, new name. I think a wallet is also a browser because that's what you use to interact with, you know, decentralized applications. I think it's a bit of all of this. Uh, and for a lack of better world, world, we are still using, you know, the name and the word wallet. Yeah, in a sense, I think we, you know, uh, in one of our first episodes, we were interested in the in the concept of uh, of a blockchain being called a ledger for transactions. And, and we were asking our, our guests if there was a better... A metaphor for a blockchain than a than a ledger, and and what came out of that was that mostly in the case of Ethereum, but a little bit in Bitcoin as well, is that the blockchain is a little bit more a computer than just a, a ledger, right? So so it has the ability of essentially creating computation in a decentralized way with uh, all these different access points um, and and inputs and outputs of data, et cetera, et cetera. So in a sense, maybe we could we could make this metaphor of the wallet as this as this browser for a user to uh, identify themselves 
and interact with the blockchain. Um, I think maybe we could also uh, explore the idea of uh, other access points to the blockchain. So aside from a wallet, what are other ways that people can interact with the blockchain? So it, it depends what you mean by interacting, because you can do two things on the blockchain. You can write to the blockchain or you can read the state of the blockchain. So if you want to read the state of a blockchain, there is multiple ways. You can go on a, on a transaction explorer, for example, like Etherscan that you would use on, you know, on uh, for Ethereum. If you want to write, I mean, the only way to write to a blockchain is to have an identity and unlock that identity to trigger a transaction. And so you need to have an account, you need to interact with your account. So you could, I mean, in a sense, you need at some point to have software to, to do that. So it has to go through a wallet. So, I mean, you again, depend what you call exactly a wallet, but at some point you will need a software to manage an account and to say, you know what, I want to make a transaction and change the state of the blockchain. And so, yes, for that, you always need to have a wallet. It can be very low level. You can try to do that using common line, but in the end, you are still using a software to, to trigger this transaction and to interact with an account that you control. So, if you understand wallet in the broad sense of just a software to interact with an account and the sun chain, then yes, you need to have a wallet to interact with the blockchain. But maybe pushing that a little bit further, let's say that you are able to write a smart contract and you want to uh, put a smart contract on the blockchain. Do you have to do that through a wallet or can you, is there, are there other ways to put a smart contract on the blockchain? So again, if you want to put a smart contract on the blockchain, you need to pay for the deployment of that smart contract. So that assumes that you have an account, you have an identity that will deploy that smart contract. And again, you need to go through some kind of software to tell your account, deploy that smart contract and pay for that deployment. So developers use wallets every day to deploy their smart contract, yes. Okay, understood. And so you were saying that um, a, a wallet can contain multiple accounts. So let's say a, a given person could have, I mean, on MetaMask, for example, multiple uh, accounts that are different addresses, right? Which is basically what it boils down to is your uh, your identity on the blockchain. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can have multiple identities in the same way that you can have multiple email addresses, in a sense. And then you can have a software to manage all these, these email addresses. So yes, you can have multiple, multiple yeah. identities on chain. Yes. And, and of course, it's a... I mean, it's a useful property because, I mean, you if the, one of the benefits of the blockchain is that everything is transparent, but that also has, you know, some consequences that ev everything is transparent. So let's say I, I interact with you because we play a non-chain game together. If I was just, if I only had one identity, you would know exactly how much assets, how much funds, and you would be able to know my entire history on the blockchain. Uh, which may, might not be something that people want. So it's good, good to being able to have multiple identities. And so maybe I will use one account for on-chain gaming and I will use another account for DeFi. And then I will use a third account to just hold you know, the majority of, of my assets. Having the ability to separate these, these different things in different accounts is, of course, something that, that can be quite convenient. Yeah. And um, so uh, as you can have multiple accounts, it seems like you can also have a lot of wallets. Um, you know, there are so many wallets out there. I think the last time I looked, there were hundreds or maybe even more. Um, it seems like obviously there are reasons to have wallets, different wallets per blockchain. Uh, if you're interacting with Tezos or uh, I don't know, Cardano, maybe you have specific wallets for that and you might have uh, specific wallets for 
uh, let's say, uh, Ethereum. But what are the reasons why, when when people create new wallets, and of course we'll go into what what Argent is, but um, what are the things that people try to improve in general? If you look at the landscape of wallets, like what are the things that, uh, let's say, that staying in the in the non-custodial uh, wallet worlds, um, how are people thinking about wallets in terms of the future and and what needs to be built? Uh, and and I'm and I just want you to for the moment puts your strategy aside because we're going to dive into that in, into a little bit more detail. Okay, actually, it's going to be hard to answer your question without mentioning, I think, what Arjun has been trying to do because it's becoming the trend and the hot topic for the moment. So again, I'll try not to chill Arjun too much. But I mean, as I mentioned, if, if you are into non-custodial wallets, there's there have always been all that difficult difficulties because... Typically, non-custodial wallets, they manage uh, what is called an externally owned account. So that's really the type of account you have on chain. And that externally owned account is programmed to be completely coupled with a private key, meaning that only the private key can trigger transactions for that account. And actually, the address of the account is derived from the associated public key to the private key. So if you have that private key, you can, I mean, the private key is the account and vice versa. In a sense, it's very dumb, very you know, low level. Uh, and that has been the root cause of many of the issues we've, we've seen so far, because if the private key that you have is completely coupled to that account on chain, that means that if you lose your private key, you've lost everything. There's no company that you can call. It's not like you can call, you know, the Ethereum Foundation or Vitalik and say, hey, I've lost my account, you know, give me back access. That's the beauty and the danger of, of self-custody. Yeah. And so we've seen, I mean, over the years, all these issues with people losing their private key, people having their private key compromised, because again, if the private key is the account, if I have your private key, that means I have your account. Uh, and so... As exciting as this technology has been, there's been a lot and a lot of, of abuse and of acts, and it, it, it's still, in a sense, a dangerous world if you go down the non-custodial path. Uh, and so Wallet have tried to kind of innovate on that, but there hasn't been any clear uh, real improvement. Uh, what we always believe at Argent is that this made literally no sense, and that actually your account should be programmable. You need to have some kind of intelligence on-chain to protect users and to really enable use a good user a good user experience and that means using smart contracts as being your account so suddenly instead of having something that is our code and completely coupled to a private key you can now have an account that can contain logic the same way your bank account contains you know contains some logic to protect your funds you can really make logic to say for example you know, if I try, if I spend more than a certain amount per day, then maybe ask me an extra confirmation. You can start to have all these flows that we are used to. You can actually build them and program them on chain. And so at Argent, that's something we realized in 2017. And that's literally been our, our focus and the, the, the innovation that we brought to the ecosystem. Uh, and today, people are starting to realize that it is actually the only way to really improve wallet. If we want to go the next step we, we if you want to make that next jump to you know uh, a, a new set of users that may be less tech savvy people are now realizing that actually what we've been saying for many years is actually what needs to be done so recently there's been really a lot of innovation around uh what's called account abstraction this idea of using smart contracts 
to uh, to be your account. Uh, but to be complete, to be complete, there is also other possibilities of people exploring other direction, still in trying to have to to, to keep self custody, but but enabling a, a, a safer and a more easier user experience. And so, an alternative direction to smart contract wallet, which we are pursuing at Argent, is uh, leveraging new cryptographic techniques such as MPC, which is multi-party computation. It's basically a way to split again. As I said, it, with EOAs, you have a key that's completely tied to your account and that's the problem. But with new cryptographic technique like MPC, you can actually split that key between different parties and they all need, a, I mean, a, a set of them needs to sign to recreate a correct signature for that account. So you are still using the, the technology as it is today, this EOA paradigm, but you are adding a layer of, of novel cryptography uh, and that, enables some a similar use case some use cases that you can have with a smart contract wallet so for i would say for the, the past two or three years people have been discussing these two alternatives we strongly believe that smart contract wallet is is the better path and i think people are converging to that uh, but so that has been i would say the innovation in the the wallet world, the non-custodial wallet world is really that so trying to leverage new cryptographic techniques that's one direction or actually leveraging smart contract to be your your account, and that's what people call account abstraction. Um, so, so just on this on this second uh, approach that you mentioned, the MPC, how is that different, for example, from a multi-sig, which is essentially the idea that several people have to sign a, a transaction? Well, a, a multi-sig is actually a smart contract where multiple people have to sign. So, a multi-sig is account abstraction. In the sense that you, you you have your account is actually a contract, and then you have logic, and the logic that has been programmed is to say that n out of m signers needs to confirm to make a transaction. While an MPC, it's you kind of bringing some of that logic off chain, and you are really leveraging cryptographic protocols to say that say two out of three people needs to sign to recreate a correct signature. So for for the user. The end result is kind of the same, but there are, I believe, drawbacks to the MPC approach because with a multi-sig, you can revoke a key and, you know, set a new one. You can change the threshold. You can actually change the behavior of your multi-sig while with MPC, it's kind of rigid. If you start it, these are your signers and you cannot change it later. So that's why I believe smart contract wallets or, or multi-sig or whatever we want to call them offer much more flexibility because it, it's programmable. That's the beauty of, you know, of a blockchain like Ethereum is that you have smart contract, you can program logic. So uh, why is it called account abstraction? Is it because we no longer have a single person behind an account or, or why, how would you describe that? No, terminology? Uh, that, that terminology, I think th this is not a terminology that should be you know, surfaced to user. At Argent, we always prefer to call them smart wallet. First of all, because you, you, it's a smart contract wallet. And so in short, it's a smart wallet. But I also like the analogy that you can have a phone and you can have a smartphone. It's kind of the same. You can have a, a wallet and you can have a smart wallet. Now, the term account abstraction, it actually comes from uh, a terminology that's used in object-oriented programming. When you have, when you have, you know, when you have an object, you can sometimes you can have multiple objects that have a common interface if you want, uh, and so you kind of abstract the logic by only saying 
my object needs to comply to these rules, but actually the underlying implementation doesn't matter. You can change that. And that's called having abstraction. And so account abstraction is exactly the same. It's to say an account on the blockchain must comply to, must have certain features, must comply to a certain interface such that the protocol can interact with it. But actually we do not define what's that, that logic, meaning that everybody can use a different logic. You can have a multi-sig, you can, you know, use different cryptography, you can, you can basically program uh, if you follow the interface or the rules that have been defined. So it's really like you, instead of having something hard-coded, you abstract that to enable people to have different implementations. So it, it's really a, a computer's, you know, it's, it's a word used by, you know, by computer scientists. So uh, I've been kind of following uh, what Arjun has been doing for maybe uh, a year or so. And I've been sort of trying to, you know, uh, you, you guys have a very nice uh, email uh, blast that you send every once in a while <laughs> that I, I recommend all our audience to, to listen to because you explain these concepts quite well. And recently, um, after having heard about account abstraction through, uh, through what you're doing, uh, I heard that there is a new uh, Ethereum proposal, uh, 4337, which has recently been approved, I believe, which is essentially trying to make this idea of account abstraction maybe more widespread. Um, how would you describe this EIP and, and what it does for the ecosystem? So as I mentioned, the idea of account abstraction is to being able to customize some of the functionalities of an account. And if you take a step back, an account needs to do four things. One is to uh, verify or validate that the transaction is valid because when you make a transaction, you say to your account, do this. And so your account must validate that you are the owner of the account, that it's a legitimate transaction. So there's a validation phase. It needs to execute the transaction. It needs to pay a fee to the miner because you need to pay for transaction. And then it needs to make sure that the transaction cannot be replayed. So these are the four functionalities of an account. Uh, on Ethereum today, with extended on account, these four, as I already mentioned, these four functionalities, they are hard-coded in the EVM, in the machine of, of Ethereum, in the protocol. So the idea of account abstraction is to give some flexibility. And it's actually, even though it's a very hot topic, it's not a new topic. Uh, if, if you look at the, you know, the, the roadmap of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin wanted to have account abstraction from day one because he recognized that the EOA model, this idea to couple that to a key, would not work. But of course, there are so many innovation that you know they needed to prioritize some. And so they kind of left account abstraction as something to do afterwards. But he made a first proposition, a first EIP in 2016, already with a proposition to abstract how you validate transactions, so enabling people to use different types of validation, and also how you protect against replay attack. Uh, so this was already in 2016. And then us, we came with Arjun in 2017, beginning of 2018. And again, we use a smart contract to enable users to customize to customize accounts. So we implemented one form of account abstraction. And then there's been several EIPs. So EIPs is really proposition to change the protocol of Ethereum to enable account abstraction. There's been... Uh, I don't remember all the numbers. There's 3074 and 2988 or something like that. But anyway, there's been something in 2020, 
in 2021, and they all try to enable some form of account abstraction by requiring some changes to the protocol. The problem is that changing the Ethereum protocol is very complicated, and it's something that takes time because you need to convince the ecosystem that is needed. You need to convince the core developer that it should be you know, included in the next fork. And so it takes a lot of time. And there's been a, some amazing you know, uh, updates the past two years uh, with, for example, the launch of you know, Ethereum 2 uh, and so on. So a, a bunch of people kind of realized that such a change would probably not happen in the short term. Uh, because there is so many at stake that changing the core protocol and, and changing the accounts, which is one of the core components of the protocol, you know, would not happen in the in the near future. And so they proposed another, actually not an EIP, it's called an ERC, because there is no change to the protocol, which would enable to have uh, some form of account abstraction without requiring to change the protocol. And that's actually ERC-4337. And that's why it gained a lot of attention, because for the first time, there was no need to wait for core developers to do something. There's no need to wait for the next upgrade of Ethereum. We could actually implement it today because it lives completely at the application level. So that's why people got excited about 4337. Okay. So essentially, um, 4337 is like a, uh, makes your life easier or uh, or validates what you're doing somehow? Exactly. So 437 is actually, with 437, you have smart contract wallets. I will try not to go too deep and to be too technical, but if you use a smart contract to be your account, there is one challenge is that smart contract, they cannot initiate transaction. You always need to start from an EOA, an externally owned account, because it's the only object on Ethereum that can pay for for transaction fees. And so you have that difficulties with smart contract wallet like, like Arjun is how can you trigger a transaction uh, without having you know money on an EOA? And the way to do that is to 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 use a technique called meta transaction and a system of relayers. And, and these relayers they are basically servers that in a sense will prepay the transaction for the smart contract account, and then the smart contract account will refund the transaction after that. Uh, and so that's what we've been building at Arjun you know, since the beginning. So we have a, a set of servers that basically prepay the transaction for users, but everything is kind of coded in the protocol and the account will, uh, during the execution, will give us that, that money back. Uh, so that works, that's great. But of course, it's kind of centralized. We at Arjun, we have our own servers. You know, Gnosis, Save, they have their own servers. There was like two or three other companies doing smart contract wallet uh, from you know the, the past years, and everybody had to de- to kind of build their own set of of centralized relayers, and that's not great. There was not really a standard. So actually. ERC-4337 is a standard to decentralize that component. So basically, it makes it easier for anybody to develop and operate smart contract wallet like Argent. So it doesn't make this this account different. There are smart contract like Argent is today, but it is much easier to, to program and to operate because now you have an infrastructure that takes care of all that 
creation of the transaction, prepaying, refunding, and so on. So that's really the, the main innovation of ERC-437 is to, to propose a standard to decentralize the meta-transaction part of smart contract wallets uh, today. Okay. Um, and another another sort of decision I think that you guys made, I don't know how early you made it, was that you are building on top of uh, zero knowledge, which is a form of, let's say, uh, a faster validation of transactions on Ethereum, just to simplify mm -hmm. it. Um, maybe you could describe a little bit, you know, what, how you understand zero knowledge and uh, specifically why Argent decided to to go down that path rather than work directly, I suppose, on the Ethereum mainnet. Um, and, and then maybe we can go a little bit into what ZK Sync is, which I think uh, once we understand what ZK is, we can go into ZK Sync. Yeah. So actually, I mean, Argent, we started building on, on Ethereum, right? When we started in 2018, we built our, our smart contract wallet on Ethereum. And we brought all these great innovations. We, we, we came with the concept of social recovery, for example, which means that you no longer need to back up a seed phrase. Uh, we came with the concept of fraud monitoring with daily limit. We even had the, the great idea of, of sponsoring transactions for users, saying that in the end, users shouldn't pay for the underlying you know, uh, tech. Uh, that was fantastic until gas started to go crazy. Because of course there were more and more adoption of, of Ethereum, and then gas, you know, spiked, and, and it became really, really expensive to operate smart contract wallet. And for us as a company, we were, you know, covering the transaction fee of our users under the assumption that, I mean, if you if we wanted the blockchain to succeed, it would it needed to be very cheap to make transaction. If you want one day people to pay a cup of coffee. On the blockchain, it cannot cost $5 to make that transaction. It needs to cost a couple of cents, maybe 10 cents max. And so we started with the assumption that transaction fees will go, will decrease over time. And so, you know, part of our model, we subsidize transactions for users. Of course, I still believe this is the case, but of course, between two points, it's not always a straight line. And so gas started to go crazy during, you know, the NFT craze, for example. And so it became very, very expensive to operate our wallet. Uh, and that means that we became a product for very wealthy users because it's okay to pay $50 to, for a trade if you are swapping, you know, 100K dollars. If you are doing a swap for $100, you don't want to pay 50 in, in transaction fees. And so we, we identify that the future for us was on what is called layer twos. And layer twos is basically the idea that you have kind of a, a parallel system of blockchain where you, you pack transaction, you pack a bunch of transaction, and then you send them to Ethereum in one transaction. So instead of all the users making transaction directly on Ethereum, they make transaction on that layer two that will you know, aggregate this transaction and then update the state of the layer two system on Ethereum layer one. And that's a way to scale to scale the blockchain. And that and scaling means enabling more users to make transactions at a cheaper cost. So we rapidly identified that, you know, our future was on, on layer twos and, and there, there were and there's still kind of two approach for these layer twos. One, is to, to be what people call optimistic, and they are, they are called optimistic rollups. So it is the idea that you roll up a bunch of transactions in one transaction that you send to L1 to update some state, but you don't prove that what you've sent to L1 is valid. 
you basically wait and you say that if someone detects that it's invalid, they can actually challenge and they can penalize the person that submitted that batch of transaction. So it's really kind of saying a lot of people will be watching the system. So we are optimistic that it will be correct because if it's not correct, someone will complain and there will be a challenge on chain and the person that was dishonest will lose money. So they have no incentive to do that. And that's what uh, optimistic rollups are. And the, the two most famous are called Optimism and Arbitrum. There's two companies making optimistic rollup. Another solution to that to that, the, the, that problem, in a sense, is to use a, a novel technique called zero-knowledge proof, which basically uh, lets you prove very efficiently that some computation is valid. So if you take that same system of, of layer twos, you roll up a bunch of transactions, you send them to L1, to the smart contract representing your layer two, uh, and that will change the state. But together with that transaction, you attach a proof that all the transaction and the, the change of the state that you propose is valid. And this proof, it comes from you know, cryptography and it, it's very complex to understand. But... Uh, the, the benefit of it is that you know that when there is a, a change of your layer two system, it is by definition correct because it has been proven mathematically that it is correct. And that's what people call zero knowledge or ZK rollups or validity proof rollups because you send a proof that your new state is, is correct. And so us at Argent, we we knew we needed to go on layer twos. We started discussing with you know these all the companies providing layer twos, and so I mentioned Arbitr Optimism and Arbitrum. And on the ZK uh, rollup side, there were basically two companies. There are a bit more now, but back then there were two companies: one called ZK Sync uh, and one called Starkware. And so we started discussing with with these four providers to try to identify which one would be the right right one for us. And I mean. Fundamentally, we were more excited by you know ZK rollups because I, I mean, as a physicist and someone that loves mathematics, I kind of love the idea that you can actually prove very efficiently that something is correct. I mean, I would feel much more confident trusting a system that I know is correct by design and by the definition than just trusting that system to be correct because nobody complained it was not correct which for me seems a bit more flaky. This is an oversimplification and I do love optimistic product as well, but that was kind of the, our initial int intuition in a sense. And I think mo most people have always agreed that optimistic rollups will come first, but the long-term solution was ZK rollup because they have some additional properties that are probably better for the for the long term. And so at Arjun, we've always, I mean, we are building for the future, so it kind of felt natural to, to go towards uh, ZK rollups. But that's not only it, because I think rollups and ZK rollups, they scale transactions. That's, that's very good, right? You can, I mean, with that technology, you can have much more users making much more transactions at a much lower cost which is what we believe is needed. But at Argent, we also believe that you need to scale the user experience of cell custody. That's what we've been doing with our smart contract you know, a model on Ethereum. Uh, and actually, two of these ZK providers, Starknet and ZK Sing, they decided to launch with native account abstraction. We've already covered what account abstraction is, is the idea to have smart contract account. Well, both ZK Sing and Starknet, they decided to leverage that, but to make it really at the protocol level. 
instead of being at the application level like ERC-4337 for the EVM, they really decided to, in the core protocol, to, to define account as being something that is programmable. And so, of course, for us, it's kind of a dream come true, right? We've always said you need to have smart contract accounts. And these chain, first, they provide a technology that will scale and we believe is the long-term way to scale Ethereum. And at the same time, they are committed to basically make our model that we've been pushing for, you know, the past five years, the default model for, you know, everybody. Uh, and so, of course, for us, that was a natural, you know, natural match. Uh, and that's why we decided to, to build on both Starkware and ZK Sync. Okay. So just to be clear, because it actually happened to me, I had a moment of doubt when I was using Argent. Um, so let's say that I want to send uh, someone... Uh, 0.5 ETH uh, from from one uh, you know from my account to someone else's account, and I'm doing it with the Argent wallet. Just the, the the flow of the of the transaction is that it gets essentially written on the uh, on the zk sync chain, and then that will stay there temporarily until there are enough transactions that will f- become, let's say, a block. And then that will go onto the Ethereum blockchain. Is that sort of the the flow of how it works? Yes, that that's that's how it works. Now the question is, you're saying you're sending money to someone. Where is that someone? As we said, an account is kind of an identity, but an account lives on a certain chain. So you actually today we are using addresses. Uh, as you know, it's this hexadecimal string that we use to represent an address. I think it's kind of a mistake because in a multi-chain world, the address lives on a certain chain. So sending to an address, so if that address is on ZK Sync as well, and you're sending from ZK Sync, actually it will go very fast because the ZK Sync system will rapidly see that you are sending on ZK Sync and it will accept that transaction you will need to wait for that transaction to go to L1 to be completely finalized. Um, but yes, that would be easy. Now, if from ZK Sing you try to send funds to an address that is on another chain, say on Starkware or on Ethereum layer one, then it gets a bit more complicated. So when you say complicated, do you mean it's a question of time where you have to wait for finality to, to occur on, on, main, on L1 or is there other, other complications involved? There's so yes, you need to wait for that finality on L1. While if you send from zk sync to zk sync or from Starknet to Starknet, you can be confident that the transaction is finalized earlier. It may be a, a, a kind of a weaker form of finalization, but you can be confident. So your transaction will be from your point of view as a user will be finalized much, yeah, much rapidly. If now you want to go to, to send to someone. Uh, on layer one, for example, yes, you will need to wait for that finalization. So for that, the block of the layer two to be sent to uh, the layer one, and that can take some time. Uh, what do you mean? Like, what what kind of time are we talking about? Minutes, hours? Uh... So today we're talking about hours. Okay. But this time will go down as usage increases because, of course, yeah. specifically if you if you consider validity rollups or zk rollups. Actually, verifying the proof consumes a lot of gas on L1. You have a smart contract that will verify that this change of this layer two state is valid. The proof is quite short, but validating the proof consumes a lot of gas, meaning it's expensive. And this is today paid by the operators of these these layer twos. And of course, 
today there's not much usage uh, and so they are you know it, it costs a lot of money for a small number of transactions when there will be more and more transactions actually they will be able to close blocks much faster and so to send much more you know blocks much more often so today mm-hmm. on stackman and zk sync the l1 finalization can be a couple of hours but this will you know this will go down uh, i think as as usage increases but so sending to l1 yes you need to you need to to wait for that finalization and then sometimes depending on the system the recipient may need to pull the funds that you have sent depending on how this is implemented again this is kind of low level all these details they shouldn't matter to a user so yeah. we have i mean we have close or we are there as a user you shouldn't really care but what's really important is when you're sending to someone is understanding on which chain that person is and i think that's a mistake uh, people sometimes do is that they send to the wrong chain and then the, the fund may be you know maybe stuck forever right so um let's say that now i have my funds on uh on argent on an account on argent and i want to send it to someone who has a metamask that's just on uh ethereum mainnet um is that would you recommend doing it like that or would you say that it's we still need to wait a little bit to make those kinds of of transfers no 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 you you can you can 100 do that yeah you can do that on Argent today. Just, I mean, and, and again, we take care of, of seeing on which chain the user is, but not all what I do, not also. It's more if you're on MetaMask, you need to be careful when you send on Argent. It, it, should, be, it should be fine. Okay. And um, you, you mentioned multi-chain future, which is obviously something that everybody is, is excited about. How do you see that multi-chain future in the context of what you're building of, of Argent? Again, that's a very good question. We are of of view of the world today. I think is that in the end, users don't care about chains. I think today we are in a state where people need to select a drop down, select on which chain they are. I mean, again, this is insane. People people will come, and I hope very soon will come for an application. They will come to the blockchain because they want to do something. And I even believe that they won't even know this is the blockchain. Maybe they want to play a game or maybe they want to make a payment or whatever, but people will come to do something and they don't really care where that thing happens. So this to say that at Argent, we are not really focused on supporting, you know, two or 300 chains which is kind of the case now today, right? A lot of people are making a lot of chains and we, we don't really believe in that. What we, it's important for us is to support the use cases that our users will want to do. Uh, and if we cover 90% of these use cases on one, two or three chains, then that's fine. There's no need to support 200 chains. If people want to speculate, there will be DeFi you know, on every chain. If you want to have NFTs, there will be NFTs on, on, on every chain. If you want to play a game, there will be you know, games on, 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 on every chain. So for us, it's really about supporting the use cases that users want, uh, not about supporting every, every single chain. So that's why for the moment, we are very focused on ZK Sync and StackNet. Uh, we are considering and you know discussing with other other layer twos, but for us again, it's more about providing the perfect experience somewhere. Again, giving access to application, and then yes, if needed, if we see that there's actually a use case that happens on a chain that we do not support, then yes, we may you know we may add that chain, uh, but we don't really believe in that need to to support a lot of chains because again, in the end, we want to support use cases, not chains. 
Yeah, I've, I've experienced uh, even within the same chain some very complicated things like uh, uh, transferring, uh, you know, uh, money from Polygon to uh, to Ethereum, and you have to go through like uh, different versions of Polygon to finally uh, arrive at, <laughs> at your Ethereum, and you've already lost so much money just doing multiple transactions to get from one point to another. So it's obviously very not user-friendly right now. No, definitely. Um, There's way too many yeah. layers of complexity that, that needs to be abstracted. And, and again, I think that's the role of Wallet is to abstracting that complexity. So talking about use cases, um, I, I believe I could be wrong, but that Argent doesn't support NFTs or is that is that true? No, no, you are completely wrong. <laughs> We, okay. we do support NFTs. We've always supported NFTs. Again, I mean, a, a, a wallet is about, you know, securing and managing assets. And NFTs is one type of assets, like token is another type of asset, or ERC-20 tokens and ERC-721, 721, sorry, in the case of, of NFT. So no, no, Argent supports, supports NFTs. Now, on ZK Sync, because today or what we have, we are present on two chains, Ethereum, where we've always supported NFTs, but also on ZK Sync V1, because in that journey towards layer twos, the layer twos that we wanted, they were not completely ready. They are about they are basically ready now, but they were not ready one or two years ago. But we still wanted to give some layer two experience to our users, so we offered a, a wallet on ZK Sync V1, which is the first version of ZK Sync, which is a a, a layer two or a ZK rollup but without smart contracts. And because there was no smart contract, there was no, there's no NFTs basically living there. So that's why you may have the impression that we don't support NFTs because it never really developed on ZK Sync V1. Uh, but actually Argent on, on, on Ethereum, we support NFTs, we always have. And now we are working on, on ZK Sync V2 called ZK Sync Era and on StarkNet, which is the ZK rollup of, of Starkware. And on both platforms, we, we do support NFTs, of course. NFTs are very important. But so uh, if let's say I have my, I have 10 NFTs in my Ethereum account, uh, my main Ethereum account that I use for, for, for publishing NFTs or buying NFTs, and I import that account into Argent, will I just see my NFTs or will they just be sort of associated with my account without, because that's how it was for a long time with MetaMask. Like you, you know, your account obviously held the NFTs, but there was no way of really seeing what you had, um, which is something that I know some wallets kind of specialize in also visualizing your collection. Um, how do you guys do that? So if... The, the problem in what you describe is that you cannot import a MetaMask account to Argent because MetaMask is an EOA and Argent is a smart contract wallet. So you, it's not like you can take your seed phrase to Argent because, again, we don't believe in seed phrase and there's no concept on seed phrase. So the, 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 the act of importing your MetaMask account to, to Argent will not work. However, if you have, and I encourage you to do so, if you have an Argent account on L1 and you have NFTs on MetaMask, you can transfer your NFTs from MetaMask, from your MetaMask account to your Argent account. And if you do so, they will appear in a very user-friendly way. You can, you can see the detail, you can show them to your friend. Uh, we even have a, a web page that you can use to, to show that to your friends online. I mean, we, we do manage NFTs, yes. And we have, a, we have a lot of NFTs on L1. We have a lot of users you know with punks with bold apes and so on because again our agent is 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 an extremely secure and convenient wallet to use and so if you have assets that are worth a lot of money like a, a crypto punk or a bold ape actually having them on argent is 
is a very good solution because you have the 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 convenience of being able to see them on your mobile in a very you know elegant way but at the same time they are very secure because they are protected with the security model of argent so it's actually much more secure and much more convenient than having them on metamask or ledger or or another wallet oh that's great so um essentially when i create let's say my if i'm a first time user of argent do i have to choose on the moment of creation um which chain I want to be on, or do you by default create multiple accounts for me? So that, that's where it becomes interesting because I told you that, I, you know, we, we don't believe in seeing multiple chains, but unfortunately we are not there yet uh, as a technology and in terms of user experience. So yeah, today on Argent, we still surface the different chains. So as a new user, if you are to create a, an, an Argent account today, by default, you will be on ZK Sync V1. But in a click of a button, you can decide to create an associated account on Ethereum L1 if you want. So you, you, I mean, it's very easy to do. It's two click, but you still need to do that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, that's that was that was super interesting. I'm excited to to start looking at NFTs on uh, mm-hmm. on Argent then because I, I didn't think it was it was possible. Um, so maybe just to sort of uh, to, to wrap up, I have two more questions for you. The first one is, um, you mentioned that you're building for the future and you, you touched on a few things that are in the sort of zeitgeist and current conversations like digital identities and things like that. What do you see as being the roadmap for, for Argent in the next five years or however far you're thinking about it? So... I mean, today we are focused, as I mentioned, on these on these layer twos, right? Uh, Argent, we are a mobile first company. So I would say our, our, our short-term objective is to reproduce the the model we had on L1 on ZK Sync and StackNet. And this is something that we will launch in the coming months. At the same time, we've been very active on the StackNet ecosystem by uh, offering different form of a of of wallet in a sense for example we still think that the very fact that you need to install a wallet when you start your journey on the blockchain is a big friction point again th- with that idea of coming just to do something it's kind of a blocker to say you want to play my game actually you need to install that software on your mobile or you need to install that browser extension Again, that's a big friction point. So we are about to launch on StarkNet and, in, and, and soon on ZK Sing as well, what we call a web wallet. So it's really a, a wallet. Uh, it's like an SDK wallet in a sense where you can log in with email and password, but it does not require the user to install anything. It's really like we are basically reproducing a, a traditional web two flow where you have a, you know, a sign-in or logging button, you put your email, the password, and and that's that's it. You have an account, and with Arjun, you actually have a smart contract account account there. And we see that as an entry point uh, to the blockchain. So really, being focused on mobile, but at the same time experimenting with you know with other forms of of, of wallet for users. Really, with that idea that at some point we want the blockchain to disappear. And for me, if you ask me, you know, how do we see the future? I think that's something that kind of drivers at Argent is how can we make an experience where someone doesn't even need to know it's on the blockchain? Because in the end, the blockchain is a technology. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, Web 2, Web 3. I think this barrier, will they will blur. And so the way we see Argent is, 
as I would say, as a, as a range of product going from just a very simple, you know, login with email and password for really newcomers. And as they progress, you know, in their journey in the blockchain or even without knowing it, but if they start to have assets of more value, then we invite them to, to install a mobile application. And that mobile application will really be your the control center of, of your identity, your assets, and your, de- your data online. Because I believe that, and we believe at Argent that in five or 10 years, you know, identities, assets, and data will be on the blockchain. So it's not that it will be your identity on the blockchain, your assets on the blockchain, is that all digital assets or most of the digital assets will be on the blockchain at some point. Most, and and your identity, it's already on on the internet today, right? Your identity is a collection of your Facebook ID, your Google ID, your email. And and so I believe that all this, we believe that all this will be on the blockchain. And so Arjun, the mobile application will really be the control center of, of all this that you know you will use to manage that uh, but again without really knowing that it's happening on the blockchain okay great um so my last question for you is uh i so we're both in belgium um i, th- I think you're in belgium yes, right yes. now uh, yeah <laughs> so uh i've i've moved from the united states about a year and a half ago and you know obviously i've noticed a big difference in sort of the the general uh, adoption or understanding of blockchain web three worlds in Northern Europe uh, than there is in the United States, or at least in, let's say, big urban centers in the United States. Um, but there is obviously a lot of movements to to try to, to develop that adoption. From your perspective, how do you see sort of European, uh, not necessarily purely Belgian, but, but let's say European adoption versus international adoption? What are the sort of areas where you think there needs to be improvements, uh, and and what kinds of improvements need to happen so that this adoption goes a little bit faster in in some parts of the world. So f- first of all, I think Europe is is uniquely positioned in terms of the blockchain space. If you look at you know startups, innovation, many of the big names are actually U- European, right? You you look at, at you know Ledger. It's a French company. You look at Ave, they are, you know, European. You look at a lot of these, these big players are actually European companies. So I think there's a lot of talent and a lot of innovation in, in Europe. There's, there's two things that I think are important to, to make sure Europe keeps driving, you know, the, the, the blockchain adoption. I think one is in terms of its funding. Because these startups, then you know, they need to be funded at some point, and we know that the US they are really good at giving money to to technological startups. But actually, the COVID, I think, has kind of changed that a little bit. Is that today, if you talk to a you know a VC in Silicon Valley and you tell them you are in Europe, they might be okay to invest. While I think two or three years ago, you needed to move to the US uh, to be funded by you know TA. Uh, VC companies from you know from Silicon Valley. So I do think that capital is now much more global, and so that becomes less uh, of a problem. The, the second, the, the second factor that I think is very important, and for that is, I'm not an expert in that, but it's it's regulation. At some point, the blockchain space will need some form of of regulation, uh, and I think who will best regulate will probably best help 
their local ecosystem to grow in a sense. Uh, I think the danger is to regulate too much and to kill innovation. So we, I think regulators need to find the correct balance to have some form of regulation, but that actually goes with the innovation and help the actually the innovation mature in a sense without killing the innovation. Uh, and that's something, and, and I mean, and and that that battle or that frontier is still very open. Uh, sometimes, I mean, the, I think the US, they've always been very good at that. That's why they dominate Web2 and the, the web so well is because they were the first one to regulate, you know, how you could pay on, on, on the internet and stuff like that. And so that helped really this innovation drive. And in the end, they are the dominant party in, in Web2. Uh, but at the same time, you see now like the SEC is attacking some companies as well. So I think even the US, they are trying to understand how they want to regulate and position themselves. I think that the Europe, you know, has a has a great opportunity in the sense there's a lot of talent. There's a you know there's a lot of builders and lots of of blockchain projects in Europe. If they manage to find the correct regulatory framework, I think Europe has a has a great opportunity to be at you know at the forefront of of the blockchain technology. But but that will depend on how they will you know they will regulate. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely true to the, you know, uh, with Parallel, we do a lot of projects that are, for example, in art fairs. And so we talk to a lot of people who are interested in NFTs, but, but you know, some of the, the most questions we have are like, can you explain to me this whole blockchain thing? <laughs> you know, so, so we realize that from a sort of a, a ground level of the actual future users of this technology, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of uh, you know, uh, understanding just what it is and that it's not just a bunch of scams and money laundering and, and things of that nature. So Definitely. it's a big project. <laughs> yeah. I mean, education is, is, is clearly going to be very important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we're, we're big fans of Argent here at Parallel. So really thank you for taking the time and talking to us. Um, and we're, we're going to stay tuned to, uh, whatever you're doing and we'll post the, uh, in the show notes, uh, the link to your website and where to subscribe to your emails, which are, as I mentioned, very instructive. So uh, please keep uh, please keep sending those out. And uh, thanks again. I hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Talk to you soon.